for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. This is a message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. If you are at higher risk, you should stay home as much as possible and avoid close contact with people who are sick to protect yourself. Call your doctor if you have concerns about COVID-19 and your medical condition or if you get sick. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program.
Christmas 2020 may be very different than holidays of old. Christmas Eve on the Tom Sumner Program can bring back some treasured memories with an encore of our Thanksgiving 2020 show featuring all holiday music. And our Christmas music is better than everybody else's because it's local. Let the Tom Sumner Program be your Christmas Eve soundtrack streaming from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night. Simulcast on WFOV 92.1. FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. Happy holidays from the Tom Sumner program. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, and Publishers Weekly, internationally best-selling author. And uh, she has started a new series for middle grade um, called Never After the 13th Fairy. 
although she's written like 50 books. I, um, but I think she's about 107. Anyway, um, <laughs> joining me by phone is the author I'm talking about, Melissa De La Cruz. Melissa, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Tom. I'm not 107. I didn't. I don't really think <laughs> you're 107. <laughs> but but it's amazing how prolific you are. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, you know, I write for kids and uh, kids series books. You know, tend to publish more than once a year. And uh, one of my favorite children's authors was Edith Blyton, uh, and she wrote, I think, almost 500 books. Wow. Um, I want to ask you about, about this book because a lot of books have a twist at the end. This book, Never After the Thirteenth Fairy, has kind of a twist at the beginning. Yes, it does. Um, it's a little bit of a twist on Sleeping Beauty. Uh, I discovered when I was doing research uh, for fairy tales that the original Sleeping Beauty story doesn't end with uh, Beauty waking up from, you know, the cursed sleep and the prince kissing her and they live happily ever after. In the original Grimm Brothers uh, fairy tale, there's a part two, which involves an ogre and tragedy and bloodshed and the prince <laughs> being framed for Sleeping Beauty's murder. <laughs> so I thought, oh my goodness, I want to write about that and I want to um, share that with everybody <laughs> but but this is interesting because the uh the heroine in the book philomena um just by chance meets a character out of her favorite book and finds that everything in that book is real or she's been or has she been transferred into that world Absolutely. Uh, so Philomena is 12, and she's a big, bookish, shy nerd, likes to read, and she's obsessed with a fictional book series called Never After. And she goes to the bookstore and tries to buy the 13th and final book in the series and discovers that it's not only not on the shelves, it's not being published, the author has disappeared. So she trudges back home very sadly and instead uh, bumps into characters from the book and from the world, and they transport her to Never After. And because she's such a big fan of the series, she knows more about um, Never After than the people who live there do. I thought that would be kind of fun, wish fulfillment for a bookish fan. You know, what if you you actually got a Hogwarts letter? What if you actually were able to go to the fantasy land you uh, read about? You'd know more. (laughs) <laughs> than the people who are there. <laughs> and what? How did you come up with that idea? Just just the the notion that that somebody would receive a letter from Hogwarts. Well, I think it's something that um, you know all fantasy readers you know kind of want a little bit is for you know their favorite fantasy books to be real. Um, but I was reading uh, the original idea for the book, which was very different from what I ended up writing. But the seed of the idea came from uh, reading a magazine. And I saw a photograph of the actors uh, who played Jon Snow and you greet in Game of Thrones. So in Game of Thrones, in the TV show, in the book, they have an unfortunate end 
you know, you greet dies, they're not able to be together. It's very sad romance. And there was a photograph of the actors who played these characters, and they were getting married. And I was filled with this joy of seeing these two people together, you know. And I thought, oh, my goodness, in another world, these characters are having, you know, are having their happily ever after. And so that kind of stayed with me. And I thought, oh, I want to write a book uh, that's about how reality and fantasy kind of, uh, you know, where they cross over. And so I had been playing with that idea for a while and finally came up with uh, Never After and how to put it in the fairy tale world. And and so Philomena goes into that world as opposed to that world encroaching on her world. Yes, she uh, is transported to that world. Yep. And this um, is written for middle grade audience. How... How do you determine what's how you're going to write for middle grade versus adults or teens? Um, I write for um, all three age groups, and I think what really differentiates um, them from each other is middle grade, which is readers from 9 to 12, 10 to 14, is really about friendship. It's about a theme of figuring out you know, what makes a good friend? Are you a good friend? What do you want in friends? And I think that's what a lot of middle schoolers are going through, you know, in sixth and seventh grade. They discover that perhaps, you know, this best friend they had since kindergarten are not quite the friends that they need um, when they're 12 as opposed to five or six. So there's a lot of change in friendships. And uh, my middle grade novels are often about friends and about finding, you know, the right kind of friends for yourself. Whereas young adults and teen uh, books, you know, which are towards um, over 12, over 14, 14 to 18, are really about finding your place in the world. You know, it's, they're about um, coming-of-age stories and your first romance. You know, who do you love? Who are you attracted to? And that's a big theme in young adult books. You know, rather than friendship, it's romance and identity. Uh, and then I always say uh, writing for adults is about writing about disappointment. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> writing for kids, everything. This was, this wasn't. Realizing the limitations this, of this, the world. This wasn't what I thought being grown up was going to be like. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, when uh, when you're writing for kids, everything is new, everything is fresh. It's all about uh, discovery and optimism and kind of the whole world at your feet. And when you're writing for adults, it's about realizing the world isn't quite what you thought, and maybe you yourself were, weren't quite what you thought, and dealing with that. So I like to remain an optimist and idealist, and that's why I write for children. <laughs> it, with the different themes um, for the different age groups, do you also change your voice at all? A little bit, definitely. Um, I, you know, um, yeah, you know, you definitely uh, change the voice because, you know, when you're writing for uh, a 9 to 12-year-old, it's much different from writing for a 14 to 18-year-old. So, yeah, I'm a little bit more snarky in my teen books, maybe a little bit more jokey in my middle, middle grade books. <laughs> More with author Melissa De La Cruz straight ahead. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Twice gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Oh, Santa Claus is coming to town. He's coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Oh, Santa Claus is coming to town. He's coming to town. The kids and girl and boy land will have a jubilee. Gonna make a toy land all around the Christmas tree. Oh, you better watch out, better not cry, better not pout. I'm telling you why, oh, Santa Claus is coming. Hear those sleigh bells coming, Santa Claus is coming. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. TomSumnerProgram.com
Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program takes a look back at 2020, Monday and Tuesday, December 28th and 9th, with a two-part special called 2020 Highlights, Not Just COVID. Here, special guests provide commentary and analysis about the Mueller report, impeachment, the State of the Union, State of the State, virtual political conventions and debates, plus civil unrest, and Sheriff Chris Swanson's response to local demonstrations, and a whole lot more. Listen December 28th and 9th because there was more to 2020 than COVID-19. Stream the show from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night. Or tune in on 92.1 FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. both nights. That's 2020 highlights, not just COVID, December 28th and 9th on the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Melissa De La Cruz straight ahead. How do you keep it straight? Because you must, in in order to put out as many books as you have, you must be working on more than one thing at a time. I do. Um, I do work on more than one thing at a time. Uh, I, you know, I think this is kind of how I dealt with writer's block is I get to a point where, you know, I can't go further in a project. And instead of sitting there frustrated, I just work on a new book. (laughs) And so I kind of uh, switch around to all the different projects. And I always say that the one that's not due is the one that I give the most attention to because, uh, you know, the one that's on deadline, oh, that's too scary. I don't want that pressure. Let me work on this. This one isn't due for another year. (laughs) And that's kind of how I get all my work done. Um. And I'm glad you mentioned writer's block because I've always wondered about people who write, especially full-time, what happens when they get stuck. And if by having multiple series and multiple projects going on simultaneously, if that is, in fact, a way to to sort of reboot and say, well, you know, I'm kind of stuck here, but I'll go over and work on this thing for a while, and that takes off, and... You know, if that's, I'm I'm glad you cleared that up because I've I've asked writers that before, and that seems to be the case that, uh, you know, sometimes you you kind of write yourself into a corner in one project, and so you just go over and work on a different project. Yeah, no, I I definitely believe in the subconscious uh, fixing problems. You know that your conscious mind can't. I find that you know just stepping away from a project and working on something else, my, you know, subconscious mind will work on the original problem. And when I come back to it, I'm like, oh, that that's the solution. Okay. You know, because sometimes when you're working on things head on and trying to enforce it, that's not going to solve your problem. But if you just kind of step away from it and, you know, kind of let your, you know, dreaming mind, your unconscious mind work on it, 
usually, you know, after a walk, a different project, after a nap, you know, there's the answer. And you're like, oh, there was all along. So you got to give uh, time to work. When you're writing fantasy fiction, um, very often you're creating new worlds with different rules and and so on. Um, how much of that is steeped in in reality, and is that um, is that a freer way to to work? Because if you want, you can just impose some magical solution to something. <laughs> um, you know, you still have to follow the logic of your universe and your story. So I don't think it's about, you know, just, oh, I'll just put some magic here. That magic still needs to work within the confines um, of what you've created. And I think that people who are drawn to writing fantasy, as my husband, who's a fantasy writer, says, um, you know, the world can be outrageous, but the people have to be real. And that's what we're drawn to, you know, writing, you know, these real people in these extraordinary circumstances. Um whereas I think literary fiction is about extraordinary people in ordinary circumstances. So for some reason, that's not as interesting to us. <laughs> we <laughs> want to write about real people in, in uh, fantasy worlds. <laughs> um, and where do those worlds come from? Do you literally sit down and, and map out uh, a, a village, a place where this yeah, all happens? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's always kind of rooted in our world. Um, so when I wrote a fantasy book called uh, The Queen's Assassin. And, uh, and I, well, you know, it's kind of like based, that country's kind of based on France. That country's kind of based on Spain. That's kind of, you know, imaginary Russia. But then the copy editor um, uh, tagged there was a scene where there was a jaguar uh, chasing uh, my heroine through the woods. And she said, well, jaguars are usually in South America. Should we have this jaguar since, you know, your world is kind of based on fantasy Europe? I thought about it, and I thought, I want And, you know, even though it's based on and inspired by fantasy Europe, it's not Europe. It's my own country that I made up. And maybe in my country, there's jaguars. <laughs> so, yeah, you can kind of break the rules that way. That's kind of fun. <laughs> but you do set physical rules or... Or do you kind of decide as you're writing what the rules are and what you can break and, and what you have to adhere to? Yeah, you know, I think you just kind of write what feels fun and what's logical in the story. Um, and, you know, kind of let your imagination take off from there. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of pre-writing. I think people mistake, you know, the writing of chapters as, you know, the first part of writing. But actually, you know, especially if you're going to create a fancy world, I do a lot of pre-writing where I write about the world, I write little character sketches, I write an outline, so I know all these things before I even start writing the first chapter. Now, this book is the first um, of what is a planned series. Um, do you go into it thinking this is going to be a series, and, and do you map out where the series is going to go book by book, or is is that something you discover as you're writing? 
Uh, no, I usually know I, I'm writing a series. You know, I, I sold it as a series. Uh, I sold it as a multi-book um, story. Uh, and I do plot out, you know, a big series arc. I kind of have a vague, you know, um, plan for how many books there are, but it's always, you know, it's always not quite 100% up to me. Uh, the publisher has to be on board with that amount of books as well, and they tend to buy two books at a time. So I've had series that go on for 19 books, but they bought them two books at a time, or series that go on for like five or seven books, and it's still two books at a time. <laughs> so right now they've bought two. I just finished the second one, and I think we'll have hopefully maybe two more, and then we'll see if we, are, we get to tell the story more after that. Yeah, because um, I always... I <laughs> I I always wonder with writers if they sit down to write a book and it's kind of a standalone book and then they get to the end and go, but wait, there's more. And it becomes a trilogy and then a series. Um, but it's it's fascinating if you know ahead of time that you're working on a bigger story and a bigger arc. Yes, I think for fantasy writers, we tend to... Uh, plan ahead um, and we kind of have to seed the series, you know, from book one, but, you know, with contemporary books, you know, that uh, don't have a big series arc, you know, I think that's the one, that's more of the case where you're writing it and then you say, oh, I could write another one. Oh, I could write another one, you know, and they're kind of more episodic uh, books, you know, while they're in a series, there's not a big dramatic arc through all of them, you know, it's kind of like little maybe like TV episodes, shall we say, in yeah. the book series. With, um, in, in this in this first installment, Never After the 13th Fairy, um, Philomena basically travels into Never After the 13th Fairy and, and the world that exists in that book. Is it a little bit like writing a book within a book? Um, yeah, a little bit, you know, uh, it was kind of funny because, uh, there was a, uh, a little bit of misunderstanding with one of the readers who wrote a review and said, it's just a, it's just an ad for all the other 12 books. And I thought there are no 12 books that's fictional, <laughs> you know, so why, <laughs> right? I didn't write 12 books and then publish this one. I mean, <laughs> It's a fictional series and a novel. So, um, yeah, so I had kind of like hints at what happened in the other books, and I thought that would be kind of fun, uh, you know, and uh, and you kind of worked that into some of the humor in, in this book. But, but Right, but Philomena starts out, you know, just, you know, in, in her own place and time, and... Um, you know, is dealing with the reality of, of her life and, you know, the fact that, you know, she lives in California and it's sunny and the grass is always green and uh, her school says there's, you know, no such thing as bullying and she kind of knows there is and she, and she's wrestling with all these everyday things and then boom she gets drawn into a whole nother world so it's it's kind of like you know the the book starts out uh, about philomena and then it becomes about philomena being pulled into another world a little bit like um the wizard of oz 
Oh, yes, definitely. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun to kind of ground her and show her as an ordinary, you know, school kid, you know, dealing with overprotective parents who won't let her walk around anywhere alone, you know, um, and dealing with school, you know, and, uh, you know, being teased for being uh, smart in the math test because she's in sixth grade, but she's saying eighth grade math you know, which marks her as different from all her other classmates, you know, and dealing with the bullying and the school and the annoying, you know, principal. Um, and uh, and then suddenly, you know, going to this other world and dangers there are very real. You know, there's uh, lightning bolts and, you know, thunder coming from the sky and an ogre witch wants to kill her, which is even worse than a bully. <laughs> and now this has some twists on on well-known fairy tales um but can you explain the difference between grim fairy tales and disney fairy tales uh sure um i think disney uh versions of fairy tales are the ones that we know very well um through the popular movies but um, the original uh, Grimm fairy tales were a lot different, a lot darker. Uh, for instance, in the Cinderella Grimm story, you know, the uh, evil stepsisters, you know, cut off, you know, parts of their feet so that they can uh, fit into that slipper, <laughs> you know, which we don't see in, in the Disney animated movie. Um, so, yeah, they're a little bit darker. They're a little bit more... Um, scarier and I think that's why they also appeal to kids and kind of are fun to read as an adult um, that they had like a much more menacing um, uh, level and darkness to them. Would there have been a different audience when uh, for contemporaries of the grim fairy tales uh, when the, when those were new would they have been read more by adults and not so much by kids as we see them today yeah i think they were popular stories you know um i think they were for everybody um they were for kids and adults uh yeah no i think that's a good question I, you know it, it was kind of the entertainment of the day so um, I think everybody enjoyed it. Um, but kids like dark dark stuff. I mean, kids know that the world is terrible. And I think uh, they feel even better when they see it. And, and as uh, even if Disney's uh, stories are a little different from the original, there's still a lot of menace and still a lot of, um, you know, scary darkness in it. I mean, I remember watching Sleeping Beauty as a kid and being frightened of Maleficent. You know, I mean, that's right. definitely something that appeals to kids. <laughs> well, I remember the the um, film version of uh, the, the Wizard of Oz, the classic movie. I remember being with some young children, and that movie was playing, and they were completely freaked out by the flying monkeys. No, totally. They are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want you don't want to be near those guys. <laughs> now, how do you? How do you manage to, well, let me put it this way. How do you manage creativity? You need to create not only the characters and the world that they live in, but the menaces that occur and and the various uh, monsters. How, how do you 
How do you tap that creativity? Is that something that can be taught? Um, I, I don't know if it can be taught, but I think it can be encouraged. Um, I was always a creative kid. I loved drawing. I loved reading. I loved writing things. Um, I liked making things. Um, so, and my parents always encouraged me. You know, I had um, art lessons. I had writing lessons. And, you know, everything that I made was kind of celebrated and, uh, you know, uh, enjoyed. Um, you know, that nobody ever told me, oh, don't do that. That's never going to get you anywhere. Nobody ever said, oh, what a waste of time. You know, it was always something that was celebrated in our house. And reading was celebrated in my house. My mom and dad are big readers my dad liked to read mysteries and thrillers um and he always read for pleasure and my mom did too she liked um you know uh history novels uh but also a lot of contemporary books you know that wasn't I wasn't allowed to read <laughs> there's a lot of Sidney Sheldon <laughs> in the shelves um so yeah you know um I, I don't know if creativity can be taught I think you can be taught to, how to tap into it more, how to um, encourage it, you know, and I think, you know, um, you know, just letting people be and uh, kind of letting people be who they are. Uh, I think I was very uh, frustrated and depressed when I wasn't writing full time and I had a job uh, that didn't, you know, didn't use those talents and then the minute I was able to uh, focus and write full-time. I was just so much happier as a person and even did, you know, more than I thought I could. I think I sold four book proposals the first year. I didn't uh, have a day job anymore. (laughs) Well, that's always fun. And after you have a couple of successes, people start returning your calls, which is nice. Oh, that's always nice. <laughs> now, I had read, you mentioned you mentioned a, a moment ago, um, and I remember reading somewhere that you studied art, and there are some um, uh, sketches or drawings at the beginning of each chapter in your book. Did you do those, or did someone else? Oh, so no, someone else. <laughs> um, I sent the ideas for them, and I sent the ideas for the cover, but um, the cover designer and the art director and the artist all get together, and they make those. And I think the person who did our cover also did the sketches in the book. Well, they're very nice, and, and it's a nice compliment to the transition from chapter to chapter. Oh, I agree. I think they're so whimsical and uh, lovely. We really like them. Um, so, since this is the beginning of now, now, now I'm going to be confused, like some of your w- readers were about the, <laughs> about the Thirteenth Fairy. Never after the Thirteenth Fairy is the first book. Um, what's the next book like never after the 12th fairy are we counting <laughs> nope. are we counting down um no but but um but but where does it go from here uh i i think uh, the way to look at it is the whole series is the 13th book you know we're not counting down from 12 to 13 to 1 it is that she's in the 13th book in the series 
So, um, you know, however many books there are in the Never After series that I wrote, it's actually the 13th book in the fictional series in the book. <laughs> Um, so the next book will also be taking place in the 13th Ferry, and that will continue on? Um, you know, in the world of the 13th Ferry. Um, and, uh, yeah, but they'll meet some new characters along the way. And now with this book out, um, because of the way that publishing works, how far are you, are you into the next book? I actually just finished the first draft of the second book. Oh, wow. So that, that was a fun thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then how long from finishing the first draft till, uh, till we're talking again? <laughs> uh, I think the second book is supposed to come out around this time next year. Okay. So, yeah, probably around December we will chat again, Tom. <laughs> well, that sounds that sounds great. Um and and the book is is really marvelous and um and very clever and and fun and lighthearted. Um I want to uh, Melissa, I, I, I we're getting close to the end of the time we have. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and uh, what we've been talking about. Of course, the book is uh, available wherever all fine books are sold, I assume. Um, But do you have a website where people can kind of look at all of your work, past, present, and future? Absolutely. Um, I am online at melissa-delacruz.com. And on Twitter, uh, Melissa Delacruz, and on Instagram, author Melissa Delacruz. Well, Melissa, this has been uh, delightful talking with you, and I appreciate you spending your uh, time. I, I don't know how you find the time with as fast as you write books. <laughs> uh, it was wonderful uh, to be here and take a little break from writing. Okay. <laughs> Melissa, take care, and happy holidays. You too. Thank you, Tom. All right. Bye-bye. That was uh, Melissa Dela Cruz talking about her uh, latest. It's uh, the first book in a new middle grade Never After series, The 13th Fairy. And uh, she is uh, the number one New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, and Publishers Weekly international best-selling author. And... Uh, check her out and uh, and find out about all of her great works and with that we'll have more of the tom sumner program straight ahead. old-fashioned radio for a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. We want to say hello. We want to see you smile. We'd like to sing some good old Christmas songs. With songs of Otto Santa and his reindeer sleigh. And gee, I just can't wait until it's Christmas Day. We're gonna set you wise. We love to harmonize. And if we had our way, we'd never stop. We'll say hello. We'll see you smile. And we'll sing some good old Christmas songs. We'll say hello. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom Bodette from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season, and you've probably been told there's no room at the inn. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across the desert. 
And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger 6. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodette from Manger 6 reminding you, there's always room at this inn. We'll even leave a star out for you. of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a Japanese transistor radio. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me green polka dot pajamas and a Japanese transistor radio. It's a Nakashuma. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave a calendar book with the name of my insurance man. And a Japanese transistor radio. It's the Mark IV model. That's the one that's discontinued. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. A simulated alligator wallet. A calendar book with the name of my insurance man. Pajamas. And a Japanese transistor radio. And it comes in a leatherette case with holes in it, so you could listen right through the case. <laughs> On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. A statue of a lady with a clock where her stomach ought to be. <laughs> a city and I get a watch, a calendar book with the name of my church band. Me, walking up pajamas. And a Japanese transistor radio. And it has a wire with a thing on one end that you could stick in your ear and a thing on the other end that you can't stick anywhere because it's bent. <laughs> on the sixth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. A hammered aluminum nutcracker and all that other stuff. And a Japanese transistor radio. On the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. A pink satin pillow that says San Diego with fringe all around it and all that other stuff. And a Japanese transistor radio. On the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. An indoor plastic birdbath. All that other stuff. And a Japanese transistor radio. On the ninth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a pair of teak wood shower clocks and a Japanese transistor radio. On the tenth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a chromium combination manicure scissors and cigarette lighter and a Japanese transistor radio. On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. An automatic vegetable slicer that works when you see it on television, but not when you get it home. <laughs> and the Japanese transistor radio. On the twelfth day of Christmas, although it may seem strange. On the twelfth day of Christmas, I'm going to exchange. <laughs> An automatic vegetable slicer that works when you see it on television, but not when you get it home. Chromium combination manager, scissors, and cigarette lighter. Pair of teak wood shower clogs. Indoor plastic birdbath. A pink satin pillow that says San Diego with fringe all around it. Hammered aluminum nutcracker. Statue of a lady with a clock where her stomach ought to be. 
Simulated alligator wallet. Calendar book with the name of my insurance man. Read pocket up pajamas. And a Japanese transistor. Ready. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. What do comic books have to do with Susan B. Anthony, Stormy Daniels, and Congressman John Lewis? Find out New Year's Eve 2020 on the Tom Sumner Program. Author Mark Schulman talks about comic book biographies of Walt Disney and Susan B. Anthony. The creative team from Tidal Wave Productions talk about a new comic book series called Stormy Daniels Space Force. Plus, former congressional aide Andrew Aiden talks about developing a three-part comic book series about the civil rights movement called March with Congressman John Lewis. The Tom Sumner program continues our look back at 2020 with comic books for New Year's Eve, streaming live from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night, simulcast on 92.1 FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. Happy New Year from the Tom Sumner Program.
Just forget about that price Ba-doopie-doo, Santa honey I want a yacht and really that's not a lot I've been an angel all year Santa baby, hurry down my chimney tonight Santa cutie, there's one thing I really do need Indeed, a year's supply of pantyhose Santa cutie Hurry down my chimney tonight Santa baby, fill my stocking with a duplex and checks On second thought I'd rather have cash Santa baby, hurry down my chimney tonight Come and trim my Christmas tree Bronner's decorations picked just for me Santa, won't you show me your love is true mm. Boop, boopy-doo Santa, baby, forgot to mention one little thing or two You see, I want a Mickey D's franchise like the Deanna's have And I want one of those souped-up, turbocharged, fuel-injected bowling balls That makes a strike every time I'll show Higgy, Taz, and Tack that a girl can bowl too And I want almost everything in the Coldwater Creek catalog Flippo needs a lot of bird toys Betty Reagan wants a four on the floor with a fifth under the seat Ronnie needs a housekeeper Dane wants a hunting lodge Jason has a computer on his list And Santa, my mom says all she wants is for everybody to get along for Christmas for a change Oh yeah, and that pretty German sweater in the window with the woolen mill to keep me warm while I'm waiting for you Oh gosh, I guess the song is over The Tom Summer Program.com. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom 